0: Jesus, you are so precious and so beautiful, and we long to see that more clearly this morning. That's why we're asking that you would speak to us, that you would open our eyes, that you'd help us to see you more clearly, to fall in love with you more deeply. Lord, would you lead us to the foot of the cross this morning, and may it change everything for us. Pour out your Holy Spirit in this place. May our hearts be open to receive what you're longing to give to us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. As the darkness closed in around them, panic began to set in. This wasn't what they anticipated when they got into this. It was supposed to be a beautiful experience. Yes, an adventure. Yes, it was going to be difficult. Yes, there were dangers involved. But was this really how things were supposed to end up? As they huddled together, crouched together in the darkness, they began to wonder, how could this have happened? How could this be the end of what they thought was going to be so much fun, what they thought was going to be so beautiful, what they thought was going to be an adventure? And as the days went by, they began to question whether they would ever get to see their loved ones again. This may have been a little bit of what was going through Abraham's mind. If you turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, Abraham has been in the, quotes, land of promise for some years now. You remember that, that God told Abraham, he gave him this call, he said, walk before me, go out into a land that I'm going to show you and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. Now what does that imply for Abraham. That he's going to be multiplied. Lots of kids. So he's, he has this promise. He's going to have lots of kids and grandkids. And, and God promises him a land that he's going to be able to go into. But you fast forward a few chapters. And all of these different things have happened. In chapter 14, Abraham has had to go and rescue Lot who was captured by these five kings, and he's gone, and he's, he's, he's rescued him. And then when finally he comes back, in chapter 15 and verse 1, it says this, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Verse 2, But Abram said but abram said but but abraham was feeling a little different abraham wasn't feeling what god was talking about abraham said okay you say that god you say things that sound really good you make me promises that sound great but abraham said lord god what will you give me seeing that i go childless and the heir of my house is eleazar of damascus Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Abraham is frustrated. Do you feel any frustration this morning? Have you been claiming any promises of God and wondering, why isn't God answering? Oh great, another 40 days of prayer. Do you know that the last 40 days of prayer, I was praying for the same thing? I still am praying for my child to come to Jesus. I'm still praying for that neighbor. I'm still praying for my marriage. Where is God? Great promises he gives me, but I'm feeling alone here. I'm feeling like I'm in a dark place. I'm feeling like I don't have what it takes. Abram says, look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. I'm childless. The the promises that you've given me, they're empty. And not only that, I imagine what Abraham's also saying. He said, do you realize that I left behind my father I left behind my family in Ur. I left them and I went on this long journey into the land that you said was going to become mine. And now I'm having to fight these kings off in order to save the one relative who came with me, Lot. And God, where are you? What is going on? Why is this happening to me? He feels like it's so dark. And in this chapter, we find that God wants to give him a bigger picture. God wants to reveal to him something greater, that that it supersedes his physical sight, that supersedes what he is capable of seeing. And God goes on to say in verse 4, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Now, the Hebrew scholars tell us that when they say, One shall come from your own body to be your heir, This is referring to that messianic promise. This is saying there's coming a savior and he's going to come through your own descendants. You don't have to pick this servant to be the inheritor of your house. But I will still fulfill this promise. Even though day after dark day after day goes by and you feel like I'm not there for you. You feel like I'm not answering. You feel like I'm not coming through for you. Hang on to hope. Hang on to me because I will give you a great reward. Verse five, then he brought him outside. Isn't this so personal? He's like, hey, Abraham, okay, here's the deal. You come outside with me now. I want you to just come outside of your tent and I want you to look outside for a minute. And he says, Abraham, come outside, look up there, look up at the stars. And he says, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Now, imagine Abraham's up there looking, and maybe he starts counting, and he's looking up at the dots, and he's thinking, okay, one, two, three, four. Here's the thing. Is it possible to count the stars that you can see with your naked eye? It actually has been, I, I hate to break it to you, but it's been done by astronomers they have figured out how many stars you can see with the naked eye as they look up at the stars they say i believe it's about 2500 in the southern hemisphere about 2500 or maybe it's maybe it's 5000 anyway about 5000 stars that you can see with the naked eye but is there a bigger picture The bigger our telescopes get, the more we can see. The further we look out, the more that we realize that's not the end of it. It keeps on going, and they keep having to revise their estimates and make them bigger and bigger and bigger, because there is a bigger picture. There is more out there than meets the eye. And God is wanting for Abraham to realize there's more out there than you realize. There's more going on in your behalf than you understand. Yes, it may have taken years. Yes, you don't have a child yet, but I will come through for you. You can cling to the promise. You can count on me. The next verse is one of the best verses in the entire Bible. Paul quotes it to, numerous times in the chapter Romans, chapter four. Verse 6 says this, and he believed, what does it say next? Notice that preposition. He believed in the Lord. That's really clear there in the Hebrew. He didn't just believe, well, God told me this promise. He told me that this is the way it's going to be. He didn't just believe the promise, but he believed in a person. He believed in Yahweh. He believed that that this God was good, that this God is a giver, that this God would come through for him, that he was the one who had spread out the stars, that he could trust that really he would fulfill his promises. But his faith was still really small, because we keep reading the chapter. You may think, well, yeah, I don't have Abraham type of faith, and one day I'll feel like, great, I go out of church and I'm thinking, God is awesome. I can trust him. And then on Sunday, I, I doubt him completely. Have you ever gone through that before? I know I have. Well, the story goes on because you read verse 7. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give to you this land to inherit it. Abraham, I've given you all of this land. This is the promised land for you. Look at how Abraham responds. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? (laughs) Can you prove this one to me too, God? Because it's not looking like it. Those kings that I just fought off to defend Lot, they're about to come and destroy me. Do you realize, God, the things that I'm up against? Do you realize how big the armies are? Do you realize how big my problems are? Do you know what I'm going through? That's the question of every human heart. Is there a God in heaven who understands what I'm going through? And does he care enough to deliver me out of it? That's the question of Abraham's heart. And you don't have to feel bad if you are wondering that same thing this morning because there is a God who draws near to answer our questions. But at first, the answers may not seem to be what we want them to be. Look at how God answers in verse 9. So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Now I like animals, and so up to this point, this seems like a good thing. This seems like a beautiful picture. Okay, so somehow he's going to, he pointed to the stars. That was beautiful. That's who God is. And now he's going to take these animals, and and somehow he's going to show how he created these animals, right? Well, Let's keep reading. Verse 10, then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. Ah, oh, now it's getting gruesome. Now we're wondering, okay, this is one of those Old Testament things that Well, let's just skip over that part because I don't really know what that's talking about. And that sounds really, really gross because, I mean, he cuts the animals in half and he's got one half of the heifer over here and one half of the heifer over here. And then he's got one half of the goat over here, one half of the goat over here. He's got one half of the sheep over there, one half of the sheep, but he thankfully doesn't do that to the birds. Apparently he just kills them and puts them laying opposite each other. That's a little bit better, I guess. It's a gruesome scene. It's, it's not something that you want to tell your kids about. So I'm sorry if they're sitting here this morning. But that's in the Bible. So we have to go through it, right? So this is the scene that God tells them, okay, you want to know that you're going to inherit the promised land? Then cut these animals in half. Okay, God, thanks. That helps a lot. And then look at what happens next in verse 11. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Vultures begin to come. He's happened to to ward off animals. He's not understanding God. Okay, I, I cut these animals in half, and now they're about to get eaten. And here comes another bird, and he's trying to protect these sacrifices that he's put there. And God's not answering, God's not there. Why isn't God showing up? God wants Abraham to understand. He wants you to understand that there is a bigger picture in your life. There is something greater going on. There is something more. And so as they sat there on that shelf, they began to dig into the the mountainside, thinking that, hey, maybe we can dig our way out because the channels that they had come in through were all filled with water. So they began to dig and dig and dig. In fact, they dug five meters back into the cave wall. As they dug deeper and deeper, their soccer coach began to try to encourage them. It's okay, we're going to find our way out. It's okay, the, the water's going to go down. Something's going to happen. Don't, don't worry, we're going to be okay. As day after day after day went by, enclosed by darkness, not having a way out, with no hope, feeling like they were forgotten, feeling like they were separated from everyone that they loved and having no answers, feeling like nobody was coming to rescue them, feeling all too much like Abraham felt, like you and I have felt time and time again. Has God forgotten about me? Does anybody care? Is anybody after me? Does anybody want to help me? That's the way that those 12 Thai boys felt as they were locked in that cave under a massive mountain wondering if anybody in the world was coming to rescue them. Was somebody coming to rescue them? You remember that moment when footage came out to us and I'll put the first video up. This is a video of when suddenly the the, the boys are sitting up there on this shelf and suddenly they hear the water begin to move. And as the water begins to move, suddenly these lights come up and the lights are shining in their eyes. We'll see if the video actually works or not. But if, you, if it doesn't, you can always go on YouTube. That's the good thing about YouTube. So the, I, the, the, you, as, as they come up out of the water, these two divers from the United Kingdom, get this, I mean, they're, they're wondering... Have our parents any idea where we're at? Does anybody care? Would anybody try to rescue us? But two divers by the name of John, and I think the other one was Vic, from the United Kingdom have flown all the way across the continent and across Asia to get to Thailand. Because they are specialists in cave diving. And for days, they've been swimming into this cave. And day by day, they've been getting closer and closer, getting further into the cave. And finally, they get to Patuyu Beach inside the cave. I mean, they are a long way, 10 kilometers inside of this cave. And they're going along and they get to this beach where they hope that the boys might be. There's no sign of them. But they refuse to give up and they keep on going. They, they continue going into the most treacherous part of the, the caverns. And as they're going through the water, they're, they're, they're swimming and going along. And finally, they come up to this pocket of air. And they said what they first do is they smell as soon as they come out. That's what search and rescuers, I guess, the first thing that they say to do is you smell first, when you're in a cave, apparently, and then you look around. And the first thing that they noticed was that they smelled The boys, they'd been in there since June 23. It was now July 2. Ten days later. The boys had no idea how long they'd been in this darkness, seemingly forsaken, having no idea if anybody cared, if anybody was after them, not knowing that the whole world was focused on saving those boys. The world was marshaling its forces. People were flying from the United Kingdom. People were coming to do everything possible to save them. the story of Abraham, he's told to divide these two carcasses in two. He's told to to do this thing that that to us seems so foreign, that doesn't make sense to us. How does that bring me hope this morning? But there's something fascinating that is from the ancient Near Eastern text that, that shares of something similar that was done by an Assyrian king. As he's making a contract, a covenant with a vassal, meaning a king is allowing somebody to become his servant, he says this to him. He has him sever off the head of a ram, and then he has him pass between them, and this is what he says. This head is not the head of a ram, but the head of Mateulu. That's the one who is the servant to the master. If Mateulu violates the oath, as the head of this ram is struck off, so will the head of Mateulu be struck off. Okay, that's not really helping the picture very much, is it? Because now you understand why these animals are cut and severed in two, right? This is about a covenant that is being made. And the, the idea is that if one is unfaithful to the covenant, may they become like those severed animals cut in two. Well, that doesn't sound very hopeful to me. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't like the idea of being severed in two. That doesn't sound like God is giving a lot of hope here to Abraham. What is God trying to do? Well, let's keep reading the story. Verse 12, Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Suddenly, it's like he's closed in by this horror, by this darkness, by this this sense of aloneness, this sense of separation, this miserable state of being that he can't understand what's going on. He feels the horror of darkness, it says. How is this going to make things better for Abraham? Verse 13, God then speaks to Abram and says, no, certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. Wait a second, I thought that my my descendants were going to inherit this land of promise, that I was going to multiply and have this happy experience where we were going to recreate the Garden of Eden here in the the land of Canaan. And now you're telling me that they're going to be strangers in a land that is not theirs. And not only that, but what does it go on to say? And will serve them And they will afflict them 400 years. So your descendants, they're going to become slaves. They're going to be having pain inflicted on them by slave masters for 400 years. That's how you can know, Abraham, that you're going to inherit the promised land. Is this leaving you with hope? Should we sing Kumbaya and walk out now? because we can know that God has given us hope because there's severed animals and because people are going to be slaves and there's good news here? Friends, there's a bigger picture in your life when everything feels like it's a mess, when it feels like God doesn't know what he's doing, when it feels like you can't trust him. If only we will do like Abraham. And trust in the Lord. We may not understand all that he's doing, but we trust in the person of God. And it will be accounted to you and to me as righteousness. When we believe that he is a person is faithful and will fulfill his promises. The Thai boys began to ask the divers, can we go home now? Will you take us home with, us, with you today? Will you take us home? And they, they said, no, 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 get back from the water. Hang on, we'll come up to you. Uh, no, you cannot come with us today. But we're coming back. We're coming back for you. And they began to describe to them how there's a bigger picture. How there was an entire village set up at the end of the cave that was there with the express purpose of rescuing them how they were planning every possible way that they were pumping water out, that people had come from around the world to pump water out of this cave in order to bring them help and hope. Friends, God is doing everything possible in your life to rescue you out of the situations that you face, whether you recognize it or not. The verse continues, and this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Verse 15 Uh, Sorry, verse 14. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they will come out with great possessions. That's not my favorite verse yet, but this is a promise that afterwards, I'm going to bring deliverance. I'm going to send whatever it takes in order to bring you out of Egypt. Then it says, now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. And then verse 16. But in the fourth generation 400 years later in the fourth generation they shall return here for what does it say the iniquity of the amorite is not yet complete what does that have to do with abraham what does that have to do with abraham having kids what does that have to do with the promised land it has everything to do with who his god is you see, God is working in a bigger scale than we can possibly imagine. He's working with a bigger purpose than we can possibly imagine. He's working for the salvation of every human being. Second Peter tells us that he is not willing that one should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the heart of God. That's what he's up to. And here it tells us that for 400 years, my favored people, my special people are going to be in a land of slavery. They're going to be afflicted there. But at the end of that time, have hope. I'm coming back for you. I'm going to bring you out of there. And I'm going to bring you back to this land once the hearts of these people here are so hardened that there's no longer any room for me in their heart. I'm not willing that any one of them should perish. I'm not willing to put them out of their misery yet because there's still hope. And I want for them to come to repentance. I hope that they might accept my gift of mercy. I hope that there's still time for them. So I'm going to stretch it on for 400 more years. When people read the Old Testament... And they tell you that it's just full of blood and God is a judgmental, hurtful person. They're not reading it very carefully. I just have to be honest. And maybe you felt that way. I felt that way reading it through it. Because some of it is just plain old history that recounts the, the sickness of this planet. But verses like this reveal to us that God is merciful and gracious, that he's willing to extend 400 years for a group of idolaters who haven't yet accepted the gift that he wants to give them. He's willing to keep on keeping on in offering them mercy time after time after time. That is one of the, my favorite verses in the Bible. But let's keep reading. Verse 17. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, That behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. Okay, suddenly we're we're brought back. Let's get the whole picture in mind. Here Abraham's wondering, why don't I have the promised land? And God says, divide these two animals. Put one over here, one over here, one over here, one over here. And this was the symbol that would be taking place between a master and a servant. And who was the one who usually passed between the pieces? Did the master pass between the pieces? No. In a covenant, it was always the servant. It was the vassal. It was the one who was saying, If I am not faithful in serving you, may I be severed in two just like these animals. But what happens in this story? Who's the one that's passing through the midst of these pieces? The object appears. It's a burning oven. It's a flaming torch. It represents to us the presence of God who often shows up in fire and glory. And as he shows up, he is the one who passes through the torn animal. So what is God saying? What is God saying? He's saying... If you're unfaithful to the covenant, I will rescue you. I will be torn apart. I will allow myself to become like these animals. I will rescue you. I will do whatever it takes. I will pass through the midst of that. Though you deserve to pass through that, though you are the one that's unfaithful, though you deserve to become like this— because you've separated yourself from the source of life, I will take it upon myself to experience the separation, the agony that comes from being separated from the source of life and grace and peace. I'll experience that horror of great darkness in your behalf. I wanted to put up some video footage as these rescuers went through and attempted to go through cavern after cavern, there were so many people working to rescue these boys who were caught. In fact, Wikipedia records that the rescue effort involved more than 10,000 people, including over 100 divers. 10,000 people, 100 divers, many rescue workers, representatives from about 100 governmental agencies, 900 police officers, "...2,000 soldiers and required 10 police helicopters, 7 police ambulances, more than 700 diving cylinders, and the pumping of more than a billion liters of water out of the caves." People came in from Germany, from Australia, from Belgium, from Canada, from China, from the Czech Republic, from Denmark, from Finland, from India, from Israel, from Japan, from Laos, from the Netherlands, from United Kingdom, from the United States, from Myanmar, from the Philippines, from Spain, from Sweden, from the Ukraine, even France offered to come but by then they had too many people. Elon Musk designed a special submarine that he was going to send over in order to save these boys. So while they were feeling all alone, crouched in this tiny cave, feeling like they were starved to death in the dark with nobody caring what's going on in their lives, the whole time the entire world is working on the outside trying to rescue them. And God wants you to know this morning by the story of Abraham, that though you may feel totally alone this morning, Though you may feel like, I don't understand what's going on in my life. That there is a bigger picture. That the entire universe is working on your behalf. That the entire universe is concerned with your salvation. But how could I know that this morning? How can I really cling to that? Does this really help me to understand? It really does. Because as we fast forward, here we have God passing between two severed animals. But what happens when Jesus is on the cross? What does he cry out? Do you remember? Something very specific. When he feels forsaken, when he feels like he can't see through the tomb, when he's laying down his life in such a way that he can't see the resurrection on the other side, what does Jesus cry out in that moment? Do you remember? He says, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? He felt it. He genuinely felt that he had been torn in two, that he was separated from the Father, that he was separated from the Holy Spirit. And he didn't stop at that moment because he loved you because he wanted to live with you throughout eternity, because he loved you more than that intimate fellowship that he had enjoyed throughout all eternity. And he said, I'm going through with it. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he bowed his head and laid down his life for you. Friends, the cross is the ultimate revelation to the entire universe that God loves you more than you can imagine. That God loves you more than he loves his own existence. That though there are trials in our life, though we go through difficult times in our life, though we don't understand why the promises of God aren't fulfilled as fast as we would like, there is a bigger picture. And sometimes we look to the cross, and we, I'll put up a picture of the cross. You, you look to the cross and you think, how can that grotesque moment paint a bigger picture for me? I don't understand how that helps me. I don't understand what kind of hope that brings to me. But friends, that is everything. That's a symbol, a sign of the heart of God that He will not hold anything back from saving you. That He will do absolutely whatever it takes, that He's going the distance. When we feel like we're all in the dark and all alone, Maybe it would help to remember those boys who felt like nobody cared, who felt like they were forever separated from their loved ones, and to realize that outside in the bright world out there, the entire world was setting up a village and a camp, was doing everything possible, that even divers were willing to lay down their own life to get into that cave to save those boys. If that's the reality of who God is, Romans 8.32 says, He who did not withhold His own Son, who is willing to give up this offering for you, how will He not with Him freely give you all things? We've got to believe that. It's got to become more than just a head knowledge for us. It's got to become more than, yeah, Jesus died for my sins, that's great. But we've got to come to realize that it is impossible for us to save ourselves. Do you realize that? Those Thai boys, they thought, well, hey, we'll go out with the divers now. We'll swim out with them. But they realized that they absolutely could not do that themselves. And just like God went and he put Abraham to sleep in a deep sleep, they actually came in. And for days they were there giving them food, giving them counseling, trying to get them strong enough for the journey out. But time was counting down. It was July 2 and July 10 was coming when they knew that another storm, or July 11, they knew another storm was coming in. And likely that they would no longer be able to rescue these boys. So they're on a time clock. They're doing everything possible. And finally they say, today is the day. We're going to start today, on July 8. And they got in there and they chose the first boys who were to go out. And they put them to sleep. Not fully, but they, severe, they, they significantly sedated them. Maybe our anesthesiologist could tell us more about that. I don't know exactly what they did, but... They made it so that they were virtually uh, unconscious, so that they could pull them out. As they put them in a suit that had a face mask, they didn't have to learn how to scuba dive. They, they could be drug along. They had a handle on their back. They had a, an air canister on their front. The, they had two divers with them, helping them in the entire way as they went through the cave. They had everything provided for them. There was nothing that they did on the way out because they were too weak to swim, they were too weak to save themselves, just like you and me. While we were weak and helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ came for sinners. Christ came for those who couldn't help themselves. So this morning, I hope that you don't feel like you can help yourself. I hope that you remember what Jesus said, it is impossible for men. But remember what he goes on to say, the things which are impossible for men are possible with God. All 12 of those boys plus their coach were brought out. They had a grand reunion. They were saved because they trusted their rescuers. But Leo shared with us back at... um, prayer meeting a week or so ago, he shared this illustration, and that's, that's what sparked this idea in my mind, this beautiful picture of this dark cave with outside, you have helicopters flying over, you have people drilling holes, you have people coming to pump water, you have people that are, are divers, you have all of this support crew, and they think that they're all alone, but really somebody's coming to rescue them. But Leo pointed out this beautiful moment when these 12 boys gathered around a picture of the Navy, Thai Navy SEAL who gave his life. He was retired. He didn't even have to be doing that that day. He chose to come back on a risky mission to save somebody's life. And he died in the process. You notice the look on their faces. Leo pointed this out. They're, they're not exactly smiling and rejoicing at this time. It's a solemn moment. It's a moment that penetrates deep into their heart. There's a love that is there that saturates their hearts in a way that they said changed everything. Because those boys and the coach, they said, we're not going to live the same anymore. One boy said, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to become an architect. Another boy said, well, well, I'm going to go on and I'm going to become a doctor. I'm going to live my life because somebody died to save me. Friends, somebody died to save you so that you could have a better life, so that you could live with him forever, so that you could have value in your life. I love what it goes on to say in the book, um, Steps to Christ, page 103. It says, we must gather about the cross, Christ and him crucified, should be the theme of contemplation, of conversation, and of our most joyful emotion. There can be joyful emotion in the midst of tears for the God who gave everything for us. There can be joyful determination to live a better life, to allow God to transform us because we can't save ourselves. Goes on to say, we should keep in our thoughts every blessing we receive from God. And when we realize His great love, we should be willing to trust everything to the hand that was nailed to the cross for us. Friends, I'll take you back to verse one of this chapter where God says, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. God has given Himself to you. That is the prize. That is what you can have. You can have the reward starting now. You can say, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. The cross has demonstrated that you want fellowship with me more than anything else in the universe, that the whole universe is working for my salvation. And God, I simply pray that you would fill my heart with the Holy Spirit. That's why for these 40 days we want to be focusing on the cross of Jesus Christ. We want to gather around the foot of the cross. We want to come and look at the one who gave himself for us because that looking will stir up confidence in us that he is coming to save us, that he has our best in mind and that he won't let us stay in the darkness alone, but he will come to rescue us. After all, he's the God who was willing to be torn in two so that you didn't have to be. He was willing to be separated from joyful relationship with his Father forever so that you could enjoy heaven with his Father forever. That's who your God is. And he wants to deliver you today. Would you just join me on your knees this morning as we think about the cross? Just go ahead and kneel down and just say in your own heart, What's on your heart for Jesus this morning? Just go ahead and open your heart to him and let him know the things that are going through your mind, through your heart, wherever you're at right now. Maybe you're saying, God, this is beautiful and I want more of you. Or maybe you're saying, God, I don't understand. What is this? Or maybe you're saying, God, I thought I understood, but help me to see you more clearly. I want to really value the beauty of the cross. Father, thank you that there is a bigger picture That though darkness may crowd around us, that we can cling to you as our exceedingly great reward. That we can look to the cross and trust the hand that was nailed there for us, knowing that you gladly did that so that we could be with you forever. Lord God, I pray as we continue through these 40 days of prayer, that it would be with the same joy in our hearts, the same uh, solemn tribute in our hearts that those 12 boys felt in recognizing the one who gave his life for them. Father, may we appreciate the beauty of what you've done. May we appreciate the value of what you've done, and may we allow it to be a sacrifice that's worthwhile in our lives because we allow you to finish the good work which you have begun. Father, fill us with the Holy Spirit as we go out to fix our eyes on the cross and your love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.